0: Our reading today comes from Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. We only have two passages left before we're done with this joy series through the book of Philippians. Today's and next week's. Today's is Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty Or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And we're thankful that God has given us his word. You may be seated. Please pray with me once more as we prepare to study God's word together. Lord, we do need your help to understand your word and especially to live. In accordance to what we learned from it this morning. So I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be active in this place. That hearts would be convicted of sin. That hearts would be opened to you. Lord, that, that we would not see the person to the left or the right of us. That we would only see you. So please help me to explain your word clearly and accurately. And we'll give you all the glory for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, like I said, just this message and next week's, and we're done with our joy series. And I assume that everyone will be bursting with joy from that point forward and we will never have to address the issue again. So, got that checked off my ministry list. Got everybody joyful. As you can see from the title of today's sermon, we're going to talk about contentment. And it's my suspicion that many of us who are joyless Christians are joyless because we're discontent. I see this work itself out in a lot of different ways. Um, And for one, when I play with my son, Elias, he has toys. My favorite toys that he has are called little people. Has anyone ever seen little people? It's really neat. They're just little people. And they have little villages or... We have a fire station with a fire truck and an airplanes, little props for the little people, and I really like playing with those with him. And so I'll get down to the floor and I'll say, "Hey, buddy, you want to play little people?" And he's like, "Yeah, let's play." And we have our maybe four of them out and maybe the fire truck, and we're playing and we talk, they talk to each other and they interact, and one of them's watching the fire truck or whatever, you know. We just make believe, and it's great fun. It's a, great, it's a great escape for me. I'm, that's one of the best things about having kids is you get to play with little kid toys, and nobody, nobody thinks odd of you about it anymore. But it's inevitable that I'll be playing with them, and I'll be playing with the toys, and I'm thinking, this is great. I'm with my son, and we're playing. And surely he'll look back upon these times with much fondness, and then I look up, and he's not even there anymore. And I'm just playing with, I'm just playing with little people by myself. And he comes running back in, and he has one more little person. And he gives it to me, and he takes off out the room again. I'm saying, Where are you going? He's like, I've got to get more little people. And so, one by one, he brings all of his little people, every crop. I don't know why he does it one by one. I guess I need to teach him some efficiency principles that you can grab maybe one in each hand and double how many you can bring. But he will not stop working until he's brought everything. And, it, and before me, it's just a huge pile of it. We can't even play with it anymore because there's no room, it's just in a big pile. And then he brings his cars, too. And I think in his mind he thinks, "Well, I'm having fun, but my fun would be multiplied by how many toys I can bring to the situation." So he just keeps going. By the time he's done and he's ready to play, usually I have to go do something else. I have to, I don't know, tend to Lillian or answer the phone or something. I don't know where he gets that. He might get it from his dad, though, because I find a similar instinct in myself to want more. We had we were a two car family, and we used to drive two cars: a white one that had a crumpled hood. From where my mom hit a deer with it before we got the car And a black one The black one did not have a crumpled hood So I preferred to drive the black one And when I drove the black one I felt pretty good about it, I enjoyed driving it Then we traded in the crumpled hood white car For our van, our minivan Now the minivan So far outshines the black car I mean it has working air conditioning All the luxuries that you can imagine So now when I drive the Volvo It's just not The black car is just not so great anymore You know I kinda wish I was in the van. Yeah, it has air conditioning and all the speakers work and what nothing changed about the black car. Just my perception of it. Now I know that I could have more. And I just don't value it as much as I did before. And it doesn't start with me. My son didn't just get this discontent from his father. It starts with our very first ancestors. Think about Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden. They had, first off, they had God. Unashamed relationship with God And they had every tree of the Garden of Eden They could eat from any of them Except one And then here comes Satan He slithers up and says Hey Eve, I noticed you're not eating from this one tree In the middle of the Garden What's up with that? This is Matt Broadway translation Very loose And she says Well, we can eat from any tree we want to But not that one God said don't eat from that one And Satan says Oh, he doesn't want you to eat from that one Because he knows that when you do, you'll have more. You'll have more knowledge. You'll know good and evil like he does. And he plants that in her mind. And suddenly she's not content to have all the trees in the garden anymore to be able to eat from. It's not enough that she has unashamed relationship with God and her husband. That tree does look pretty delicious. Or the fruit of that tree. I don't think she actually gnawed on the tree itself. The fruit of that tree does look awfully good. No longer content with what she had. And it spins everything out of control. And here we are today, still struggling to find contentment in our lives. Even though we have Christ, we have God, we have breath in our lungs. Still many of us are discontent as Christians. In the book of Habakkuk 2.5, I know many of you read Habakkuk this week for your devotions. It says well of this type of person, of the discontent person. He is greedy as the grave. And like death is never satisfied. Many of us, if we'll take a minute and look into our heart, we'll realize we are greedy as the grave. And like death, we will never be satisfied. Death and the grave will not be satisfied until it has taken each and every one of us or until Christ comes back and and stops it. And that's how we are. We're just never satisfied. There's always something more. Entire industries have been built to capitalize on this. Because people want to be wealthier or prettier or happier or whatever. Now I suspect that many of us right now may detect a hint of discontent in our lives, in our hearts. And the point of this passage is very clear. Christians can be content regardless of circumstances. Christians can be content regardless of... Of circumstances, regardless of situation. It's there for us. Contentment means satisfaction with one's possessions, status, and situation. Satisfaction with one's possessions, status, and situations. That's contentment. So are you? Are you content? Are you content with your possessions? Are you content with your status? Are you content with your situation? Or do you, in your heart, feel very strongly that you're not joyful now, but if you could have this thing, or improve this status, or change this situation, then you would be joyful. If you could have this thing, improve this status, change this situation, then you would be content. How do you know? How do you know once you... Got that thing, improved that status, changed that situation, that you wouldn't still be thinking, but if it was like this or if I had this, then I'd really be content. Another way to fi- figure out if you are discontent, ask someone who knows you well. Do you tend to complain more than give thanks? Often discontent expresses itself in complaining. As we're going to see in this passage, Christian contentment is not based on circumstances. Paul says, let's read it again. Starting in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. What he's talking about is the Philippian church had been supporting his ministry with resources, finances. And apparently there was a, a lag there where they, they were unable to for a while. And now they've renewed that support. And he's saying, I'm glad that you're supporting me again. But then look what he says in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or want. He says he knows the secret. He knows the secret of contentment. We have here the secret of contentment. And for just five payments of $19.99, you can have my DVD set, The Secrets of Contentment. I bet some of us would gladly pay that if we thought we could get The Secret of Contentment. You know, Paul, remember, is in prison when he wrote this. He's shackled to a Roman guard. No possessions, no freedoms. Whatever plans he had made for his life are put on hold for at least a couple of years, he might die at the end of this prison sentence. And here he is saying, I've learned the secret to be content in any circumstance. And when he makes this gesture, the chains, you know, rattle. The secret, I think, is hidden in a very famous verse. Philippians 4.13 My translation, this NIV that I have says I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Some translations sound more like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a pretty famous verse. I think many of us have probably heard it. But I don't know if we've all always understood it. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Meaning I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. I remember when I was in college, we had a building. It was called the Ledford Center. It was our multi-purpose building. It had the ping pong table and the, the bookstore and you know the mail room, those kinds of things where the students would go. And couches with TVs where students would hang out. And I can remember I was playing ping pong with my roommate. He was my Romanian roommate, so he was destroying me. And there was a family in the couches over there. It was a guy that was in one of my classes. I knew him to be a very devout Very passionate kind of guy when it came to God's Word. And he was a family man, and his sons were there. And I don't remember how old they were. But one of them tried to go to get water out of the water fountain, and he just wasn't tall enough. He could get to the button, but he couldn't get his mouth up to where the water was. So he came back to his dad, and I was within earshot. I could hear. He said, Daddy, I can't. And the dad turned around and he said, You what? He said, "I, I can't. He said, You what? And the kid was like, I can't. He said, you can, you can do how many things through Christ who strengthens you? And the kid was like, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't even think the dad even cared to know what the kid was talking about. And I don't think the kid ever got his drink of water. He was sent away thinking that when well, the scriptures say I can do anything through Jesus, but I can't get my lips up to this stream of water. And I, I have thought that verse meant that before. That I can do, maybe, I mean... Clearly, that's not what it means. And I know that dad, if he had thought about it, if he knew what his son was even talking about, he would have understood that that verse doesn't mean a short kid can always drink water from a water fountain because Jesus will be there to strengthen him. (laughs) Just like it doesn't mean that I'm going to – I could go play in the NBA because Jesus will be there to strengthen me when I need it. It doesn't mean that. It means I can do all things that God calls me to do through the strength that Christ supplies. The context of that famous verse is about contentment. It's not about performing great deeds. It's about contentment. Paul's saying, I can live any way that I need to live in obedience to God because Jesus will strengthen me for it. Whether it's wealth or poverty, whether I'm hungry or well-fed, I can do it. I know that I can do it because Jesus strengthens me. It means if Christ calls me to suffer, he will strengthen me to suffer in such a way that God is glorified. If he calls me to poverty or abundance, Jesus will strengthen me to endure in such a way as to honor God. What we need to take away from this is that contentment isn't about more or less. It's not about better or worse. Contentment is about connection to Jesus Christ as our trust and our treasure. Contentment is about connection to Jesus Christ as our trust and our treasure. Now, I'll tell you what I mean about that. Do you believe that God is really sovereign, meaning that he is in control of everything? Do you believe that God is in control of everything? If so, that means that your situation, God has control over that. He knows where you are. And he has control over it. Now, do you also believe that God loves you so much that he even gave his own son to die for you? If we believe that God is in control and we believe that God loves us, then we can rest in that even when our situation is uncomfortable. Trust him and treasure him and you'll find contentment in any circumstance. Now hang with me because I know some of you are in very difficult circumstances. And I don't brush it off. I'm not brushing it off like, oh, just be content. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that no spouse and no job, no family, no car or house or whatever it is can bring you contentment. None of it is designed to bring you contentment. God is designed to bring you contentment. There's a false gospel being preached out there that says, if you believe and you trust Jesus, he'll give you all these things that you want, and then you'll be content. If you trust Jesus, he'll give you the house and the prosperity you want, and then you'll be content. That's a false gospel. The true gospel is, Jesus is all you need to be content. And maybe he's deprived you of these things to help you see that he's what you're really longing for. So don't put those expectations on a house or job or spouse or family or friendship that they should give you contentment. You'll be disappointed. Christian contentment says that I may never have fill in the blank, but I have God. I have Jesus. I have heaven. I have a life to live. I have air in my lungs. I have a purpose to fulfill. And I'm content with that. Whatever else this temporary world is going to throw at me, I can do any of it because Christ strengthens me. And he goes through some of these different situations that that he has learned how to be content through. He says, I'm not saying that I'm glad you're helping me because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know... What it is to have plenty. I have studied this verse in the the next verses, and I feel like the NIV lets us down a bit in its translation. That's what I'm reading from. When he says, I know what it is to have need, I know what it is to have plenty. It sounds like he's saying the same thing that he says at the end of verse 12, where he says, Whether living in plenty or want. But those aren't really saying the same things. Some of your translations may do a better job of, of differentiating. But what he's really saying there, in verse 12, I know what it is to have, to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Some translations will say, I know what it is to live by humble means. But you dig and you dig, and what it's saying is, I know what it is to be humbled. I know what it is to be brought low. That's what he's saying in that first circumstance. I know what it is to be brought low. Like my friend's father, who was an architect... Or worked somehow in an architect's building. He did did computer drawings for an architecture firm. Is laid off. And now he cannot find anything. And he's applying at Walmart. There's nothing wrong with working at Walmart. But to go from, with his education, being an architect, to stocking shelves at Walmart is, in his mind, being brought low. I know some of us are facing similar circumstances. Paul's saying, I know what it is to be humbled and to be brought low. Literally abased. One of the other negatives, he says, I know what it, what it means to be hungry. I have to secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. That word means pining away, like craving. Literally, you're just hungry. He knows what it is to live like that. I bet very few of us know what it is to live through that. I have received more calls in the last month, though, than I ever had before of people in need of food. And with things the way they're looking economically, I bet that will become more common. And what a disservice we would do to those people to simply give them a bag of food and to not give them a connection to Jesus Christ. Because their stomachs will be full, but their souls will be empty. They'll still be discontent. I'm not saying we shouldn't help the poor and the hungry. Don't get me wrong. We, We should. We absolutely should. But we're doing them a disservice if all we do is help them with their tangible needs. And we don't connect them to Jesus Christ. Paul knows what it is To be brought low He knows what it is To be hungry He knows what it is To be in need To fall short As far as resources goes And he's learned How to be content In all those situations Those of you Who are right now In the midst of Just very Difficult And unfortunate situations Please do not think That this sermon Is making light of that Because Because I know that some of you are walking roads more difficult than I've ever walked before. But I am just telling you what God's Word says. That there is a way for the Christian to be content, even through the worst circumstances. Because true contentment is not about more or less or better or worse. It's about connection to Jesus Christ. Making Him your trust and your treasure. But He also says that He has learned the secret of being content in good circumstances. When you're lifted up, there in verse 11... You get down to the language and the contrast is between being brought low or being brought high. Some of us may be enjoying some prosperity right now, some some position of prominence. You need to learn the secret of contentment too. (coughs) Because A, you might still be wanting more. Or B, you might abuse that. You might look at your prominence, your, your position that is good. And have a false sense of confidence, a false sense of contentment in that. That could be stripped away from you at any minute. He knows how to be content when he's lifted up. He knows how to be content when his stomach is full. How difficult it is for those of us with full stomachs and full refrigerators and full pantries to stay focused on God when we feel no need. You too need to learn the secret of being content in Jesus. He knows how to be content when lifted up or full or abounding, basically when prosperous. I read a story as I was preparing for this sermon. There's a a famous old preacher named George Whitfield. And one day he came up to his pulpit to preach, and there was a slip of paper somebody had put there, and he read it. And it was a little handwritten note. And it said, A young man who recently inherited a great fortune requests the prayers of the congregation. Why is it that we don't think we need prayer when we're in abundance, but we feel like we absolutely need prayer when we're in need? I think it's because we feel like the abundance must be the answer to prayer. Abundance must be the answer to what we need. It must solve our problems. This young man was wise to know that this fortune he inherited was a cause for him to need great prayer. Like all those stories of the lottery winners whose lives just go down to two after they won all that money. You would think, well, they've got to be the happiest people on earth. Well, no, money's not going to fill that hole. That's why Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Money sometimes is the worst obstacle in our life, it trips us up, it keeps us from seeking our contentment in God through Christ. Now, I want you to flip to another passage with me. It's in in the book of John, chapter 15. John chapter 15. I'm going to start at verse 1. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. And he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In Philippians, we read a verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In John, we read a verse that says, Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If we take anything away from this sermon, I hope it is that you are not going to find relief from your discontent until you are connected to Jesus Christ. You're like a branch. And unless you're connected to Jesus Christ, you're like a branch that is withering and dying. The branch can't live unless it's connected to the tree. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Have you ever just felt like I can't do this? I can't. Matt has been preaching about joy for months and I just can't experience it. I cannot find contentment. I cannot find answers. When you feel that way, when that voice comes up and just feels like I can't do this, remember Jesus says, well, apart from me, apart from being connected in me, living in me, me living in you, you can do nothing. But you can do all things through me because I'll strengthen you. You can live in a way, any way God ordains for you to live. Contentment is not about more or less, it's not about better or worse. It's about connection to Jesus Christ, like a vine connected to his branch. So, where are you with Jesus? Do you know him? Do you trust him? Do you treasure him? Here's how we get to know Him. Here's how we come to trust Him. Here's how we grow to treasure Him. He's here. He's revealed in His Word. Or are you hoping that He will give you what you really treasure? A better situation. Better possessions. Better status. I'm going to read one more passage to you. You don't have to flip to it. You can just listen. And I'm closing with this. This comes from Luke chapter 7. Hmm. no, it doesn't. I wrote down the wrong verse, but I remember it pretty well. This will not be exact. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you will seek, you will find. If you knock, it'll be open to you. So I know sometimes you can just feel desperate after a sermon like this. You can feel like, gosh, I know Jesus. But contentment and joy still elude me. Don't get in a frenzy. Even though you may not understand entirely how to abide in Jesus, in Him and you, and thus be able to do all things, I promise you if you seek, you'll find it. If you knock, it'll be open to you. Just let it start with a simple prayer. Jesus, help me to understand how to abide in you. Help me to be content the way the Bible wants me to be. And please use this closing song as an opportunity... To take that step and to pray that prayer, please know this altar is yours. You can come and pray. If you'd like for me to pray with you, I would love to. But my prayer is that we would grow to be a congregation of joyful, content people, no matter if our situations even get worse. Lord, thank you for your word. Sometimes the truths are simple to understand, but so difficult to live out. I just pray that you would help us this week. You know, each individual and their struggles and their challenges and their pains. Please minister to each individual's heart this week. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to improve our situations where needed. But let us never think that that improvement is where we'll find contentment. Help us to see you and to see your son Jesus for who you are. Help us to treasure you as we should. And Lord, I pray for my friends that we would go from here and that you would do this ministry in our hearts and that we would live with joy and contentment that we've never experienced before. And we'll know that it's because of your ministry to us and we will give you all the glory for it. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.